Good morning, church. It's my delight and joy to be here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Eki, for the opportunity to come and present our ministry, our passion, our burden for global missions, as well as to preach God's word. What a joy and an honor. So uh, by way of introduction, my name is Ben Murray. My wife, Natasha, is pictured here, and our firstborn son, Audric. And we need to update our picture because we just had a newborn about a little under a month ago now. So my wife is still recovering from that, which is why she couldn't be here. But uh, mom and baby are doing great. And we're going to take them all together, and we're going to move back to Taiwan and uh, begin a ministry of long-term investment into people's lives, sharing the gospel and seeing them become mature in Christ Jesus us so that they can then also make disciples who make disciples and plant churches that plant churches. So as your pastor was sharing that philosophy, we, we did feel that connection for sure and so grateful for uh, the opportunity and the, the calling God has placed in my life since I was a 14-year-old boy. And God, by His grace, has enabled me to continually follow that calling uh, for over half of my life. I'm 30, I'll be 31 this coming May, which is also the same time that we'll be going back to Taiwan. So keep us in your prayers as we make that move, that God would be preparing hearts in advance for us as we bring the gospel to those people and preach Christ, plant churches, and make disciples. And actually, we were there for six months before, and that was in 2016. Our son, he was only two years old at the time, and uh, as we're actually going to take you uh, there by way of video this morning to give you a glimpse of Taiwan, what it looks like, and then our goals as missionaries there long term. So at this time, I'll transition over to that video, and then after that, I'll have a short presentation going into a little more detail about our mission. I distinctly remember a time in my life when I got along with God, my Creator. I truly was awed by His glory displayed in the heavens. The year was 2008. I was in Lancaster, California. I had ventured a bit into the desert and sat down near a tree. Under that indigenous Joshua tree, I gazed up into the night sky full of innumerable bright stars. In a time of inward worship and great admiration of the Lord, my Creator, and Jesus, my Savior, I told God that I would do whatever, I would go wherever He wanted me to go. After that heartfelt prayer, God urged my heart greatly in that moment to consider the lost, those who have never heard the gospel, those Jesus died to redeem, those who have no truth about God those who remain in spiritual darkness. Little did I know God was preparing me and my family to be for missions one day in Taiwan. And something I could have never known were the hearts of those whom God was preparing thousands of miles away for the message of grace and salvation. There are 24 million people in Taiwan most of whom live in the major cities, which contain at least two and a half million souls each. They are a modern people, much like Americans. They are people of wealth. Many have every luxury money can buy. There is little need or want in this society that has it all. They pursue their own version of the American dream. They operate multi-billion dollar industries, they are a people who embrace the technological age and they love social media just as the rest of the modern world. But they are also a deeply religious people with strong ties to traditional ways and devout religious practices. Due to the vast sweeping history of Buddhism and the other prominent Eastern religions, they are a spiritually dead people in bondage to false idols and ancestral worship. In what little of the Christian church Taiwan knows, it is most commonly a church that lacks the saving and essential message of Jesus Christ. When considering all the spiritual opposition of this mission field in particular, some may doubt there is hope. But our hope is that God is still at work. It is clear that God is seeking worshipers of His glory, of every kindred, of every tongue, and of every people and in every nation. We also take hope in the biblical pattern for accomplishing the Great Commission. 
Our primary method for establishing long-lasting and true biblical change in Taiwan is church planting. The installation and multiplicity of sound theological churches will ensure a gospel work that will outlive our days. The inception of these churches require a critical element, discipleship. We know that God must raise godly national pastors to lead such indigenous churches. During our six-month missionary internship in Taiwan, my wife and I had the joy and the privilege from God to disciple a good number of Taiwanese English-speaking men and women. We know from experience that discipleship works because it's not only a biblical pattern for how we should raise up godly leaders, but we've also seen it work firsthand. Lastly, and most importantly, our greatest hope lies in the proclamation of God's Word to the nations. We know it is God's Word that He uses to work in the hearts of the spiritually dead. Because we place such a high priority on the communication of biblical truths, we must study Chinese intensively during our first years in Taiwan. We are most happy to report that it was during our missionary internship that we both received daily language training. I personally had the opportunity to preach a short sermon fully in Chinese at Throne Baptist Church in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. We are thrilled to be in the service of the King of Kings. God's kingdom work is our mission and highest call. Taiwan remains an unreached nation. More church planning missionaries are needed to do the work. Will you pray and help us go? Tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's our website in which you can learn more about our ministry. Join a uh, newsletter we send out by email every month. You can go to our website and get updates there, or you can sign up for our email newsletter in the foyer. So on your way, on your way out today, I encourage you to do that, to keep us in your prayers, because without the prayers of God's people, we won't be able to accomplish this mission. We strongly believe that it is in God's power of His Spirit, through the prayers of His people, that this great mission will be accomplished. And so we're giving our lives to this ministry, and we ask for prayer in return as we go. I also encourage you to pick up a prayer card to remember us by. You can put us on the fridge or keep us in, the, in your Bible or wherever you like to keep your missionary prayer cards so that you may remember us in prayer. So by, uh, by the, uh, in the, uh, excuse me, the presentation at this time, where is Taiwan? As Pastor Eki mentioned, it's not the same country as Thailand. It does get confused as we travel. People do confuse it sometimes. So just by way of geography here, we see it's off the coast of mainland China. As you can see here, just a small island, but a lot of people, 23, uh, 24 million people on this small island. It's uh, quite densely populated, in fact. Uh, one of the more densely populated countries of the world. Uh, you have Texas, which is roughly about the same population, and but uh, it's, Taiwan is 120th the size of Texas. So imagine telling all the Texans to move to just 120th of their state. And uh, that's about roughly the population density that you can expect in Taiwan. How many think Texans would be all right with that move? Probably not. Uh, big open wide spaces, not, not a thing in Taiwan. So they build up rather than out. There's uh, wonderful developments there with uh, public transportation and subway systems, and they even have Uber there. So you can get around quite easy in that place, but uh, good luck with that, being stuff in, stuck in traffic. I'm sure your Californians know a little bit about that. So moving along, just wanted to present to you the need of the mission. It's an unreached nation, as I mentioned before. And here's a pie chart of the religious statistics that we're looking at. And as we can see here, that yellow small little piece of the pie there is really the, what represents the entire country of those who would profess the biblical Christianity. That is, I believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. It's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone that we are saved. That message of the gospel is rarely heard in Taiwan. And so we believe there's still many more missionaries that need to be sent. Some um, missiologists and other uh, mission agencies uh, estimate that at least 100 more missionaries are needed to be sent to go. doesn't mean to be from America, but we need 100 more just to get uh, boots on the ground and to get to the point where seeing the national uh, leaders come to a point of spiritual maturity to then duplicate and make disciples of disciples who make disciples and plant churches that plant churches. And so that is our mission strategy. It is to declare Christ, to plant churches, and make disciples. 
And what I mean by making disciples is spending many hours with the people that God saves by His amazing grace and teaching them good theology from the Word of God. As your pastor is trying to do on, on this coming Sunday night, teaching you from the Word about biblical counseling and how you can use the Word of God to apply to everyday situations. What does God teach about marriage? What does God teach about love as we're coming up in Valentine's Day? And what does God teach about the afterlife? And so this is, these are important questions we should answer, and the Bible has the answer. It is sufficient. Amen? And so we want to see every Christian come to maturity in Christ through teaching him the Word of God. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes many years of, of time investment in people's lives, which we are so thankful we have the opportunity to do. And so, how have we trained for this mission? As I mentioned, as you saw in the video, we were six months on the field. This was a wonderful time to really test ourselves and our calling in the real context of where we'll be serving, uh, Lord willing, for our whole lifetime. And so, it was a wonderful time for us as a family to really ask the hard questions. Do we like rice? <laughs> Can we use chopsticks? Well, maybe those questions we could answer stateside, but there were questions we couldn't answer. And those are the things why we wanted to go. We were counseled to go by our home church and sending church and pastors and others. And books we've read have encouraged, if you're going to be a missionary, start being one here in the United States. And then, when you've answered all those questions, then go and tour the land. Not just for two weeks, because, you know, the romance puppy love stage wears off, and the rose-colored glasses come off, and they find out that roses have thorns, and living in another place where they speak a different language and don't eat the same foods you're used to, uh, you can start to see the challenges that present themselves. So we, as a family, tested ourselves there, and by God's grace, we came back not frazzled, but we came back dazzled at what God was doing and how we wanted to be a part of that ministry for our lives. So pray for us as we go back and uh, we do so joyfully. We also are grateful for six months of Chinese learning. That's another question to ask. Can we speak their language? <laughs> it's a very challenging one at that. You could say ma or ma and it has a different meaning each time. One means horse and one means mother. That's one you don't want to mess up on Mother's Day. Amen? So pray for me that I don't embarrass myself as I speak. But the goal is to get fluent in their language and preach the gospel in their language from their Bibles so that they can hear it and be saved by the grace of God through the preached word of God. So thankful for four years of staff training at our home church, which is our sending church today, and also theological studies and continuing and learning and growing in the Lord. I'm a student of the Word, not a master of it. Anyone else agree with me there? Are you a student of the Word? That'll be the whole lifetime for me, a student of the Word. I'm a learner and want to keep learning more about our great God. So our missions team is, as you see here, essentially want you just to see that we have structures in place, not only to receive the donations from churches, but also and individuals through our 501c3 of our church. But then also we're having a team on the field, Project China. There's our missionary colleagues and friends. We won't be all alone. They'll be there for fellowship, for support, for ongoing collaboration in the gospel. And then we have an advisory team that's come around us, handpicked in an inner circle, if you will, of people and pastors who are coming around us and praying with us. We're meeting quarterly just to examine and look at our lives and our character and our spiritual well-being, but also the mission, how we can pray together to see God accomplish His great kingdom work through our lives. And so I won't bore you with the details, but essentially we have Lifeway as our sending church and receiving of funds, administrative of funds, members of that church, and then Project China helping with the on-field accountability, the missions and training that my church is not specialized to provide, but Project China can, and then our, um, our advisory team, our core values and integrity and wellness. This is just another layer of accountability we as missionaries are inviting upon ourselves to give assurance to those who want to support our ministry that we're just not a fly-by-night operation. We're not just doing this solo. We want to have lots of accountability. We're pro-accountability, not against it. And as we will see, I believe that these Three different uh, avenues of accountability help bring about what most mission boards uh, do for a cost, for a fee, a service. And so we can do this for free from our church. And so that all the mission dollars given goes more to the mission instead of the services that are required to give the same thing that a missions agency does. And again, we're not against missions agencies. They, they do a wonderful job in serving the church. But because of this structure we have, we didn't see a need for one in our case. So we're grateful for that. What are our goals as missionaries looking forward? What's a day in the life of a missionary look like? Well, this is just to give you a glimpse. Um, we're coming near the end. 
of, of the year so far. And so year one has come and gone. A lot of meetings and raised some support of monthly support. Year two, raised more support and saved for our outfit and passage funds because there's a cost with relocating to another country, as you'd imagine. And so saving for that. And then by year three, which is this year, by, uh, we're planning to go back to Taiwan, having a fully funded outfit and passage fund, the monthly support necessary. This is not our salary. This is, this is most of it going to missions. And then, of course, just the cost of living in a modern place of the world that is a little more expensive, inner city life, return to Taiwan by 2020. And here we are, May 7th, our plane tickets are purchased and we're going back. So what we're going to be doing once we're there is year four, the first year of ministry. We want to be thinking outreach. How can we reach the people? And of course, right away, we're going to hit a barrier. It's called the language barrier, right? Uh, we know how to say hello. We know how to say goodbye. We know how to say Jesus Christ in their language. But it's not enough to really see every Christian come to maturity in Christ. Jesus, is it? So it's important for us to learn the language very well. So those first two years, we'll be taking intense time each day to learn the language for two years. And uh, during that time, we're also going to be hosting home Bible studies, starting small, looking for those di discipleship opportunities with people we meet to be able to have uh, conversations in English with those who can, can speak English. And Taiwan actually has a goal by 2030 to become more fluent, countrywide fluent in English. So by the time I learn their language, they might learn mine and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. So we see what the Lord will do there, but we are not being lazy. We want to learn the language. It takes many hours, maybe four to six hours a day of language training. So pray for us during those uh, important two years of our lives to learn the language. So that by the end of year five, after two years of language study, our goal is then to start and launch our first church and be uh, going from meeting in the home maybe to a building or from the home growing to a building and seeing people uh, being trained up, national pastors trained, preaching in Chinese, and then seeing not one church established, but Lord willing over the course of many years, a second church and then a third church and a fourth church. And each of those churches see national pastors voted in, trained, and called to the ministry. That's our goal. That's our goal. Long-term goal seems self-sufficient, self-funded, so then we can reallocate the mission funds to a new church plant. So this is a long-term goal, and one we invite you to be a part of through prayer and giving, so that by years and many years ahead of us, we see not one church planted for His glory and for His kingdom, but many by His grace. We've reached 80% of the total amount needed for this work, and we're going back in May 7th. So we're right here at the end and praying for that 100% or as close to it as we can by the time we return. That is the uh, end of the presentation at this time. Uh, Pastor, move into the preaching of the word. Great. So if you would, please. I know that was fast, so if you have questions, definitely see me afterwards. But turn to Romans 15. It'll be our passage for this morning. I want to give... So ample time to the word here this morning. So I wanted to go through that, not too quickly, but just to, to get to the word as it is most important here this morning. Romans chapter number 15. We'll look at verse number 13 to start off, if you will. Romans 15, verse number 13. Be reading from the ESV today. Follow along in your version as you have from verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I know it's been mentioned before, but we pray, God, that you would be invited into this place. Uh, we've been praying that you would work in hearts through your word. I pray that your word would be a wonderful beacon of hope to people here under the sound of my voice and your word preached today. Lord, remove me from the equation and may your son receive all the glory. May Christ be lifted up. May you receive all the glory for what is said and done today. May what I say and do be pleasing and honoring to you. And may we have hearts to receive and ears to listen to your word of encouragement and a charge and a challenge even to us today to bring the hope of the gospel to the nations. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to first off start by saying there is hope. Amen. There is hope. Enduring hope for you individually, personally, 
God has you on his mind. He sees your struggles, your agonies, your challenges, your hopelessness, your despair. And he gives to you a word from the Bible that says there is hope. And there's also everlasting hope for the world. Global missions, the nations who have yet to hear of this beautiful hope we'll read of in Romans 15. But we need to ask some questions, some qualifiers of what type of hope are we speaking about today. Because I think there's a confusion about the world's peace and the world's hope and then God's peace and the peace that Jesus mentions. And so we'll examine this. I asked some questions of examination this morning. We ask, where does this hope come from? Where does this hope come from? Does it come from the stock markets? <laughs> or does it come from something a little more stable, secure, certain, anchored? Immovable, indestructible, like God's word. In what or whom will the world, will we find such hope? We said there is hope. That's, that's a, a mantra that not only Christians speak, but the world also speaks. And they'll say there is hope, there is hope. But what kind of hope are we talking about? And whom and what will we find this hope in? How will this hope that you're offering me actually get me through hard times? I don't want cheap hope. I want the real thing, right? As we'll see from the text today, the answer is God himself. And really a triune answer, that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is the source, the whom, the person whom we have this unique Christian hope. So number one, let us see the object, or sorry, the origin of hope. The origin of hope. Look at verse number four, if you would. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here we see some connections, the scriptures. We see endurance through the encouragement of the scriptures. We see something that was written before, and that's instruction to us. And then we see a pronoun, the scriptures, we might have hope. If, if it's talking about hope, I'd like to be in the audience of the we group. There's the them group and here's the we group. I want to be in the we group because they're the ones receiving the encouragement, the endurance, and the hope. So we need to ask, who are these people? Who's the we of verse number four? Is it just anybody and everybody, universally, all mankind? Or is it more direct, more specific, more qualified? Is it perhaps we the redeemed? We who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation alone. We the children of God. I propose to you that it is the latter. That we, verse number four, is not the we of just anybody and everybody, but uniquely the believer. That this hope is uniquely a Christian hope. Do you follow? A uniquely Christian hope. Jesus says, and he qualifies his type of peace, and then a difference between the world's peace in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, the Lord Jesus says. My peace I give to you, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this isn't a cheap peace that passes with every wind of adversity. This is a peace that he says is my peace, and it's not like the world can give you. I want a piece of that peace, don't you? So let us look here how we receive this peace. How we can receive this encouragement, this hope. Letter A of the outline, look at the means of encouragement. It's in verse number 4 in the, the end there. Notice that it says through the endurance and through the encouragement, these three words, of the scriptures. Do you see it in verse 4? That's the means of our encouragement by which we receive this Christian hope. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preached word, through the read word, through the listened word of God, that are sufficient for us to give you peace, everlasting, and hope abounding. This hopefulness is actually something that increases when what we hope for is assured. Let me illustrate that. My son, uh, he's uh, five years old now. He'll be six in March. And when we're traveling church to church, he sometimes struggles with sitting for a long time in the car. If you're a parent of young children, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
And so, do you often hear the, these famous words, are we there yet? Yes, yes, you're familiar. Grandparents alike. And so what can we do to just satisfy this blooming curiosity of my child? What do we say to him? We say, no, we're not there yet. <laughs> Is that going to help? I mean, we've tried that, right? Uh, maybe we've said other words. If you don't stop, I'll pull over this car right now. I've been there. <laughs> but, but what really helps my son is that I'm assuring him, yes, son, we're, we're getting closer. Those may not be very encouraging words, but I'm assuring him and his hope for what he's assured in increases. If it's, for example, when we arrive, I'm going to take you to the park. His hopefulness increases. Dad, are we going to almost be at the park yet? Yes, son, as I promised, we will be to the park soon. Dad, are we almost to the park? Yes, son, as I promised, we'll take you. And I'll put you on those swings. And you'll slide down those slides. And you'll scuff your knee in the very sharp mulch that is yeah, embedded in your skin for life. Well, you see what I'm saying, though? His hopefulness increases for what he hopes in when it's assured by the word of his dad. We have a heavenly father who's given us a word. And an everlasting hope. And every time we open the word of God. I hear it preached. And we listen to it on audio. Our hopefulness increases. As we are assured of the certain promises that he offers. Our certain hope in Christ Jesus. And the means of this encouragement is through the word of God. You see. And so I encourage you, just a little, little marketing thing here. Come back tonight to see how the Word of God is used as your means, your conduit, like flipping on a light and electric wire there to the bulb turns on. How the Word of God is like that to your soul through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the means of the Scriptures. Notice, notice next here the source of encouragement, uh, the source of our endurance, Where's, where's the source? Where's the power? If the light being switched is turning on, where's the power powering the light bulb, right? The source. Look at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Stop there. May the God of endurance. We see right here, God is the powerhouse of endurance for our weary souls. The God of endurance and the Greek behind this won't bore you with, but essentially what I'm trying to do here is connect this word of endurance, hypomone, with other instances of this word used throughout Scripture. One translator actually brings this verse to read as follows. Now, the, may, the God of, may, may, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. You see here that this Greek word of endurance is one that is giving perseverance and encouragement, like the electricity to the light bulb, so the Spirit of God to your soul, that lights your life and helps you take the next step. Notice that this source of encouragement, endurance, comes from God Himself. As one commentator said, God is the source of steadfastness in His redeemed. God is the source, you are not. And that's where we can all say, thank God for that. Because I would mess up and mess up again because I can't do it. Have you been there? That's a Christian life. It's a race run. Hebrews 12 brings this imagery to mind, actually. As the, perhaps the Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin that clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance. There's the same Greek word used in Hebrews 12. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here's the command. Run with endurance. Persevere. And for any runners here today, you, you want that second wind to kick in, to give you that boost of energy to keep you running that mile, two mile, three mile further. For those that aren't runners, you just have to trust me, it's a real thing. Or so I hear. I'm not, I haven't run a 5K recently. But we hear these words of endurance mentioned in Hebrews 12. And we say, where does that come from? I'm commanded to do it, but how and where does the power come? My answer for you is from God. It's from God. And so we can look to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Because Jesus did it for you. Amen. 
Because Jesus did it for you. He despised the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you of a man Scripture gives us who might have had a glimpse or understanding of this kind of encouragement. Let me bring to you this name, John. John, who is the last surviving apostle, banished to the island of Patmos, as we, we understand from Scripture. Legend tells us that he was boiled alive in a vat of oil, survives, and then he's banished to this island all alone, where then he receives a vision from God in which we have in our Bibles labeled Revelation. You know that book of the Bible? Here's a man who's nursing these burn wounds, banished all alone, and here I think this is a man who we could learn from because he speaks of the endurance and encouragement he received from God all alone. Imagine you're all alone on an island. If you heard that before, like, if you're alone on an island, what are the three things you're going to take? Oh, food, water, uh, my iPad. Yeah. Well, there's no internet, never mind. No, John, he was alone with God. And in that moment of all the things that he said encouraged him the most, he said it's the God of endurance and encouragement that he personally experienced, the steadfastness in Christ that enabled him to move on and to Go on in the race that God had called him to run. Listen to these words as he writes, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos in the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The same word endurance is used here. He says, I, your brother and partner in tribulation. You get the picture. John wasn't just walking through a field of daisies having a, a God moment. He was badly wounded, probably discouraged, all alone, disconnected from his brothers and sisters. And here he says, that's where I found Jesus. His patient endurance, giving me the power to keep on keeping on. It's a beautiful thing to see what God does in his people. And so that in Romans, it says, Through him we also have obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand and we hope and to the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You see, it's not just the John Apostle thing. This is a real thing for you, where you can actually find joy in suffering because of your eternal hope. In Christ Jesus, that can be never, ever taken away from you. We rejoice in our sufferings. How can we do that? Only by the power of God, His steadfastness, His endurance, what Jesus did for us by grace. So we notice next, He's the God of encouragement, God of endurance, verse number five. We see that. But this God of encouragement, we could go on and on, and time won't permit. But essentially, I just want to draw a quick connection here. He's the God of endurance, but he's also the God of encouragement. And the word here is linked to the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who Jesus said he would send to us. He would be the divine helper and the divine encourager that he would give you personally when you accept Christ as your Savior. So you're plugged into the source. If you confess Christ as your Savior today, it's by Jesus alone that I'm saved, you are plugged into the source of encouragement, the Holy Spirit. And he's the helper who will comfort you in tribulation, trials, difficulties, as even the Apostle John. So whatever you face, know that your hope is secure in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the encouragement of the word. Now notice, notice next here in our outline, number two, the object of hope. The object of hope, verse number 5 and twelve through 12. So again, verse 5, may the God of endurance, encouragement grant you. Next notice here, to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some things to highlight here in this verse to unpack. Letter A, notice here the gospel unity in Christ. To live in harmony with one another. How? Where does this harmony and unity come from? In accord with Christ Jesus. I walked through these doors and greeted some of you coming in. You said hi to me. Some of it's just a passing hello, how are you? And like you would at a, home, at a store, but not in church. 
Not in church, because we have an instant connection and accord, a unity that's in Jesus. I love it. Every time I go to another church and meet another person, I feel like we've known each other for a while, haven't we? We, we just, because there's an instant, yes, we're in Jesus together. There's an accord we have with Christ Jesus, a harmony, a unity that Christ brings, a gospel unity in Christ. Notice here a threefold gospel unity mentioned in verse 5, 6, and 7. First, we notice the united Christian harmony. So here Paul gives the admonition to live in such harmony with one another in accord to Christ Jesus. United Christian harmony. Next, notice here verse 6, that together you may with one voice, see a united Christian purpose, one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, your united Christian purpose. Glorify God with one united voice together. That's our purpose, to glorify God. And then united Christian family. This is a beautiful picture and imagery here of welcoming one another, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Become a child of God as you accept Christ as your Savior. And so welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's what I felt coming in today. A welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you. Examine yourselves in your own conversations and ask the question, am I also so hospitable? Am I also, as Christ would be, welcoming to anybody who comes through those doors in united Christian family? It's a beautiful picture of God's redemptive plans at work to unite every nation, ethnicity, to the infinite praise of his glorious majesty. And Paul points to this here, the praise of God, to the glory of God with one voice as the central theme. Every believer who says, I, I believe in Jesus, if you're that person, here's what we should all think and, and be working towards, to praise his worthy name. Why else do we sing together in church? Is it just because it's something fun and entertaining to do? Well, it is sometimes entertaining and fun to do, but that's not the reason we do it, right? It, doesn't, it could be a cappella, or it could be just one guy strumming a guitar, or someone trying to do something on the drums, which, by the way, great job on that. It was fantastic. Wish I had those skills. But folks, it's not about the performance. It's about the one we are singing to to the glory of God, to the praise of His worthy name. And so worship really is something that magnifies God, and we do this in unity with one voice. And I, I can't help but think of Revelation 7 as John's vision gives us a glimpse of what that might look like in heaven one day. Listen to these words. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And here they are saying this with one loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worthy is your name to receive honor and blessing and riches and praise forevermore. You see, the, this is what missions is all about. All nations glorifying our awesome God. And I want us to see in this passage here how King Jesus, who's the object and person of ultimate Christian hope, secures our eternal allegiance as God worshipers, God praisers from all nations. Verse number 8, we see under point B, Christ's proven covenant servanthood. Verse 8, for I tell you, Christ became a servant. Christ became a servant. Again, we're asking the question, how does Jesus, King Jesus, secure the eternal allegiance of all nations so that the Father may receive all praise and glory for all eternity through his servanthood? Philippians 2.5 reads, Jesus Christ, who emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess, Jesus, your Lord. You see that praise happening? 
because of Christ's proven servanthood, obedient even to the death of the cross, to the glory of God the Father. Wow, Christ, that's it's incredible. Not only is just Christ's servanthood incredible, but even God's proven covenant faithfulness to his people. All who profess Christ as his, God is faithful to deliver hope and everlasting peace. Verse number eight, for I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, God's faithfulness. That is the patriarchs, that is the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. And you see here, why did he do this? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. God's proven covenant faithfulness. I was reading Hosea today. Now as I was driving down listening to it, and you hear God's language in, in Hosea, it's startling because he asks Hosea to marry a prostitute. And you think, what are you doing telling to do that? But because, because he's trying to give a picture of the prophet is like I, God, who married Israel. But Israel is playing the adulteress and runs away from me. Instead of being faithful to me, she, she goes behind my back. Instead of being loving, she loves others. And just like they would love false idols, just like they trust in other nations to provide them grain and commerce and, and silk and luxury. They go to the nations, not to their God. And so he gives this picture of how you're like the harlot who went away and disowned me. But yet, I will still be faithful to you. I will forgive you and with open arms because of how awesome God is, how faithful He is to His promises, He says, I'll welcome you back with open arms. That's what, that's what Hosea does to uh, Gomer. Welcomes her back. It's a beautiful picture of God's redemptive grace. We didn't deserve it. But it's God's proven covenant faithfulness to His people and to His promises. Wow. What about you? How's your relationship with God? You call yourself a believer, a son, a daughter of God. You are the bride of Christ. How's that spiritual, marital relationship with the Father? And no, just as a prodigal son, the Father is open arms welcoming you back. Because of what Christ paid for you on the cross, he can forgive you and still be just, still be righteous, even though you broke his law over and over and over again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your covenant faithfulness. But as we look at global missions, Paul begins to hint here in verse number nine of the new covenant ethnic expansion. Verse number nine. So yes, it was Jesus, servant to the circumcised, the Israelites, to show the promises are real. He's faithful. But, verse number 9, he also says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. It's not just the Jew only, Paul says, but the Gentile, the Greek also. For all of us who are wayward prodigal sons and daughters, Jesus sent his son, God sent his son in the form of a servant to die on the cross so that he could welcome you into his family so that you may be among the many millions to worship one day with one unified voice as a Christian, unified purpose, harmony, and family at the throne of God. This is the new covenant ethnic expansion Paul begins to expound upon in verse number 9 and following. Uh, we can read in verse number, uh, look at verse number 9b. We see Israel's praise among the nations. He says, here, let me remind you, it's written. It's written, here's the words, it was written, I'm quoting. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. We see here Israel's praise. But next notice, the nations rejoicing with Israel in the following verse, verse 10. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So now it's including the nations, the Gentiles, with the Israelites. And then Paul says, now look at this next progression of praise. 
Global praise secured in Christ in verse number 11 and 12. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all the rest of the world that have been outside of the covenant promises, now the, the, the veil that blocks you from God and all His holiness has been rent in two. Remember that? When Christ was slain on the cross, earthquake happens, and then the Holy of Holies, what was that dividing? That veil was ripped in two, signifying God opening to the nations. All people come to me. All people can come to me. I'm a holy God. You can't just approach me as a sinner, but because of Jesus, what he's done, now because of his blood, his sacrifice, you can enter the Holy of Holies because of Jesus. And that's where we see in verse 12, it prophesied. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even when he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and here I love these words, and him will the Gentiles trust. And him will the Gentiles hope. Not just hope for you, but hope for the world in Christ Jesus. God the Son is the object of hope. I started the sermon with the charge, with the word of proclamation that there is hope. And let us close with these words from Romans 15, 13 that we started with as we look at the operative of hope, the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Letter A, we see God uh, filling of God's hope. May the God of hope fill you. This is an active part of God working in you to bring about hope. So we see God filling us with hope. Letter B, filling of God's joy. Notice it says, with all joy and peace in believing. You could say, while you are believing, while you are trusting, an ongoing, not only present or past tense, but a continuous verb here. As you are believing, you are receiving joy and peace. See, this is why it's important that we go to the Word as the means of our encouragement. Not just one day, not just two days, but as often as the Lord allows us the time to have this appetite that is just hungry for the word because we see this hope is real. I don't, I don't want any of that counterfeit stuff. It's not like the infomercials that sell you on something that's plastic. This is the real deal. You order now, you won't be disappointed with what's delivered in Christ. We've all been disappointed by maybe products that didn't meet our expectations. And so go to Amazon and complain to them. They give us free shipping and send it back. It's a great world we live in. We have this consumer mindset, right? Like, I get and God gives. Or God gives and I get and I'm entitled hope. And I'm entitled peace. And I'm entitled encouragement. But it doesn't happen unless if it's by God's grace extended to you. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We're like the adulteress or the adulterer. And God, who as the husband, calls us back to himself. That's where we need to see ourselves. And when you come from that low to then seeing the joy and the real happiness in this relationship with God, we, we joyfully forsake all other counterfeits, don't we? We forsake them all because I see Jesus is worth it. He's the real deal. In Christ there is value. In Christ there is hope. In Christ there is peace. But you will not find it in anything, anyone else. Because we'll be disappointed. If you look to your pastor for it, he's just a man. You won't find it like God can give it. If you look to your spouse or your better half, your partner you think of as the source of your happiness, let me just, just give a slight rebuke. That, that's not where you're going to find happiness because it's God who gave you that person to begin with. It, it's just like when, when we look to luxuries and comforts and bank account securities and all these things, those don't offer peace and happiness and hope. My peace, Jesus says he gives to us. 
not as the world I give unto you. So this is just a charge to not look to the world for your peace and hope, but to look to Christ and Christ alone, so that you may be filled with this hope through God, through the means of encouragement of his word, by filling you with all joys as you are believing, as you are walking, as you are pursuing Christ. You don't stop. You keep moving forward by the endurance that God gives you as the source of power. And then he fills you with all power, the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that you will abound in hope. Abounding hope. I'll close with Revelation 4.11. Our unified Christian purpose. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You're made to worship. Don't worship the counterfeits. Worship Jesus. And there your purpose for living is fulfilled. Your, your thirst is quenched. Your hunger is satisfied because the one who created you with those thirsts and desires fills them with him, who he is. And you will be happy and find peace and joy and believing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word of hope from your word. God, I need to come back to it often. Because so easily my eyes drift away from Christ. The things of earth draw my attention. God, I'm so easily deceived. My heart yearns after all things that are not where I'm going to find real peace. And it's not wrong to accumulate wealth and use that wealth as a steward. As long as we recognize it's from God and only from God that we received. Given us the health to work. Lord, it's not wrong to love our spouse. You command us to do so. But may we not find all of our, our hope in our spouse. Lord, it's not wrong to find joy in Christian fellowship. But Lord, it is because of Jesus that we have that Christian fellowship. Help us just to take our eyes off of the things and the people and place them back and our focus back and you back on the throne of our heart so that we may find hope that lasts through all suffering or challenge and find real joy and peace in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.